Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. This is a special retrospective episode on the legendary Jerry Hay. Jerry Hay is without a doubt one of the most impactful trumpet players of modern times. He's contributed his dazzling trumpet work and arranging wizardry to a monumental number of recordings over his 45 plus years in the LA studio scene. And in this episode, I'll be pulling some clips from my hangs with Jerry, as well as from some of the other trumpet gurus that have felt his influence. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Hi, and welcome to this special edition of the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. And before we get started, I need to make a little confession. Uh, a lot of you have been commenting on how much you enjoy this series and how the show has provided you with equal parts of inspiration, education, and of course, entertainment. And as much as I love knowing all the work that my team and I put into bringing you a new episode every week, that it's being appreciated. Uh, I do need you to understand that the person that I'm really doing this all for, me. I love to talk about trumpet. I love to talk about what it takes to be successful in anything, how to overcome your obstacles, how to ultimately live your dream. And through this podcast, I've had the opportunity to reconnect with some of my old friends and make some new ones along the way. And one of the new friends that I've made just happens to also be the second major influence on me as a trumpet player. Uh, the first was Maynard Ferguson. The, the first time I heard him play completely shattered every belief I had about what the trumpet was capable of. But the second is in many ways my biggest influence. It's the man who completely redefined the role of horns in pop music, who has set the standard as both a player and an arranger. I'm of course talking about the legendary Jerry Hay. Today, Jerry has won six Grammy Awards for Best Instrumental Arrangements. He's been nominated for additional 15 Grammys. Jerry's even been nominated for an Oscar. Jerry's played on and done arrangements for a massive amount of multi-platinum recordings, including his iconic work on the biggest selling album of all time, Michael Jackson's Thriller. And Jerry even has credits for his gazoo playing on The Last Jedi soundtrack. Yeah, the guy can do it all. So, in celebration of International Hay Day, uh, yeah, I just made that up, but I think it should be a legit holiday. Let's look at some of the highlights from my hangs with Jerry and also hear from some of the other trumpet gurus about the impact Jerry has had on their careers. So, let's start with the call that Jerry got in 1976 that would change his life and the state of music forever. On the first session, we. Um, we had just moved to LA and I mean, literally it had to be three or four months and the phone rang, who knows how he got my phone number, but the phone rang and it was Quincy and he asked me to come in and play on a session. I said, great. You know, and he's, he says, and I want you to do the arranging too. And, you know, okay. You know, uh, I guess, you know, yeah. but you know, we did this t tune on his album, 
called I Heard That, and the name of the song was Midnight Soul Patrol. Not really very much. It's a little instrumental ditty, and the horns are basically the intro, and every time the intro comes around, then we do a little bit on the vamp. Not a lot, but, you know, I got my foot in the door, and he seemed to like what we did, and that was kind of how really my career got started with the arranging part. Once Jerry got his foot in the door, he was able to leverage that opportunity and become one of the greatest session players and arrangers of our time. So how did Jerry hone his craft? Well, let's listen to him and find out. Just as a player, I would, uh, would go into sessions and you know, the, the writers bring these charts and, you know, we'd play them and, and you know, one session you go in and you go, wow, this is, this is really good. I really like, this is good. What's going on here? Why does this sound so good? And I would make an effort to like go into the booth and go, okay, you know, that's how, that's how he voiced it. And, or, and that's what he wrote. And that's how the rhythms are. The next day you go in and somebody else is writing and it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And you go, okay, why do I hate this? Right. Same thing. You learn what doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. So just from the playing standpoint, I was, you know, fortunate to play with a lot of really great arrangers and, you know, kind of learn what they did that made it feel good. And then yeah. I got to play with some guys that were, it was horrible that it was, one, it was hard to play, and two, it didn't sound very good, you know? Mm -hmm. it, it, so, you know, I, I, had, I had that opportunity to get it from both sides, just from the playing point. The Jerry Hay horns have an unmistakable sound, and the sound that they made made them a staple in the L.A. recording scene. But it was backed by chemistry and a tremendous work ethic. So what does Jerry have to say about what it takes to cut it in the big leagues? Well, check this out. If you get so lucky as to get a phone call from Quincy Jones, you got to be prepared to come in and do it right. Right. Um, so you have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be ready to play. You have to have the chart right. And you have to, you know, it all kind of has to come together. You know, meeting Quincy, and you have to, yes, you have to go in there with the right attitude. And because, like you said, nobody wants to work with a jerk. You know, yeah. some guy, I don't care how good he is, but you know, you ju I just, you know, later with that, you know, yeah. there's a lot of other guys. Yeah. Well, you've, you've worked with so many great people. I mean, both in terms of uh, the people that you've, you've been contracted to work with, but uh, even more importantly, that core nucleus of musicians that, that you've worked with in, in the horn section, people like Gary Grant and Chuck Finley. And uh, now you're working with Wayne, uh, obviously, you know, other people like uh, Bill Reichenbach and, and uh, you know, just, just some, some amazing people. And they, it seems to stay fairly consistent. Um, so what's the secret to being able to keep, keep that kind of a core together? Uh, well, one, they have to really be able to play and they have to be able to play the style of music that I'm going to be writing. You know, Wayne can play a lot of different styles, you know, so, you know, he had, has no problem coming in and, you know, playing with us. Dan Finero, another one that has 
has been in on a few sessions. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just more than just the playing because you got, like you said, you got to have somebody in there who's got a right, the right attitude, who really wants to make it better than, better than it should be, really. Gary Grant is the guy for that. He, he comes in, he'll keep playing it till, it till he's bleeding if it's not good enough. You know, right. and that's and that's really what it takes to make, especially back in the days when it every note had to be played. There's no Pro Tools cutting and pasting and right. all that, fixing and all that. You know, we had to bust our ass to to play that stuff right. Okay. And and the physical demands of the trumpet. If somebody's going to make a mistake, you're going to have to play it again and yeah. again and again and again. So you got to have somebody in there that's going to want to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully each time get a little better. During his years in Hawaii, Jerry began to develop his reputation as a world-class trumpet player. Jerry gained the attention of musicians by his onstage performances, but it was his practice room sessions that gained the attention of the local trumpet players. Let's hear from longtime friends Eric Miyashiro, Gary Grant, and Mike Chikowitz. I remember hearing Jerry practice at the University of Hawaii practice room. I was hanging out there uh, playing for uh, one of those competitions, solo competitions. Yeah. And I, I saw uh, a, a crowd gathered outside of um, one practice room door. Uh, They're like, you know, uh, listening in. And I was like, oh, what's going on? So I, I went by and... Um, I heard this incredible trumpet playing. Um, it was, I think he was playing Chalier or uh, or Arbenz. It was but just it was amazing. He he was like, I mean, you know, he could do anything. Yeah. Um, and I asked the guys, you know, hey, who, who's 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 playing? And they said, well, it's Jerry Hay. And it's like, wow, okay. Uh, who's Jerry Hay? <laughs> so they proceeded to explain to me who he was, and he he just said that he's playing um, uh, in one of, one of the shows, and he's got a band called the, the Ox, mm -hmm. which you know be, later became the Sea Wind. Right. So I kind of tracked down Ox, try to you know figure you know try to I wanted to listen to him more. Mm -hmm. So I found out um, Ox was playing in one of the the small theaters uh, near Alamoana Beach. So anyway, went there and I heard the band and oh my God, I, I just, again, once again, you know, it was like, you know, well, that was that like religious experience mm -hmm. hearing Jerry. And and they also played a lot of dances and caught one of their dance gigs. And Jerry was, was the only trumpet player and they had two other saxophones. Uh, Kim and Larry Williams, mm -hmm. but anyway, Jerry, I remember Jerry is playing um, everything, um, all the trombone parts to this, you know, like the dance charts, all the trumpet parts, and played a solo, and played everything, and it was like I was just again, it's like oh my god. So this, you know, the, the, these OMG <laughs> experiences yeah, yeah. really kind of solidified. You know my early, on um, uh, you know goals mm -hmm. of becoming. Yeah, I want to be. I want to be like that. Yeah. 
I broke into the studio scenes in uh, in L.A. Um, in 1975, uh, and uh, uh, of course we did. Uh, you know, was it long after that? It took me about a year to get going in L.A. After I moved back from Hawaii, right? And that's yeah. where I that's where I met Jerry and all the guys and Larry and all those ferocious musicians you know yeah all your all your partners in crime from from back in the day so uh yeah so i mean hawaii that was um that was some scene out there you know with with uh jerry and and that gang and yourself and and um from what i understand there's just a lot of people that are kind of coming in and out of that area for various reasons so uh um what what did you experience out there in hawaii besides the the sun and the surf and the bikinis well, I was, <clears throat> I love the scuba dive, but I went over there to play with the uh, Temptations, uh, the, the Supremes, and uh, with the same contractor that brought Jerry over there and brought Larry Williams and Larry Hall and, and a whole uh, mess of people from Indiana. And uh, they were uh, doing the Dick Jensen show uh, when I arrived there in Hawaii, and I, uh, it was at the Outrigger Hotel, and I uh, walked in, and and I heard Jerry playing this vamp. Up to double C's vamp. <laughs> and it was like the 12th show that week, you know, and uh, I said, man. This is supposed to be out in the middle of nowhere. Where did this guy come from? So uh, we became, uh, we gravitated a lot together and and, uh, and had a mutual interest in music. And uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. So consequently, you know, in high school and everything like that, and in the beginning of my time in the service, you know, I was playing in big bands and stuff like that. Well, I got a, a change of duty station midway through my naval naval career, as short as it was, um, and I got sent to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. So I was really psyched about that. But I'll, to be honest, I didn't know that I was going to be a player once I left the service. But all that changed when I got to Hawaii and I heard some guys talking about a guy named Jerry Hay, who was like this really great trumpet player on the island that I should check out and everything. And uh, I remember going to a, uh, a concert at the Waikiki Shell in 1974, I think. And um, it was Sea Wind, but they were called Ox at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were opening up for the CTI Jazz All-Stars. That was the first time I heard Jerry. And as an opening act, you know, it's like, you know, 40-minute set, that kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't really hear anything that really, you know, said, wow, this guy is like really just amazing. But the next thing I saw him do, they opened up for Deodato. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember Deodato. Yeah. Another CTI artist and everything. And... Uh, they opened up for for them uh, for him at uh, Andrews Amphitheater on the University of Hawaii uh, campus, and he played some stuff that night that was like 
are you kidding me? So I went up to him afterwards and uh, it turned out he was from Dixon, Illinois. He had studied with Charlie Geyer, who was my teacher in high school uh-huh. and stuff. So we immediately kind of connected and stuff. But he was, you know, I mean, to me, he was like, wow, this, this guy is like way above my level, of course. And so I started getting together with him and a guy named Larry Hall mm-hmm. and Gary Grant at the University of Hawaii to practice. And, you know, it's funny because I, I'm, I'm writing a book about Jerry right now. Oh, cool. And we're working on it together and everything. And, and it's funny because I was asking him about those days. And he told me, yeah, you know, we all said, man, you got to got this great sound and everything like that, but you couldn't get around the horn at all. It's like I couldn't play a C scale faster than 120, pretty much. So going to hook up with them and listening to what they could do was my jaws would be sore for like two days from laughing. Uh It was so ridiculous what they could do. So that inspired me and going to see like Ox and everything like couple nights a week for you know the whole time I was there and then finally getting closer to all those guys and going on to gigs with them and everything I heard Jerry doing a couple of big band things that he was working with in Hawaii and everything that just absolutely opened my eyes as to how to play that style of music Mm -hmm. so connecting with those guys actually motivated me to continue a career in playing yeah. So and and of course those guys when they got to L.A. and everything, they completely took over the town as yeah. far as the trumpet playing. Yeah, completely changed the face of uh, of the use of trumpet in popular music. Well, pop music, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And and just such nice guys too, man. You know, I, I've uh, been fortunate really enough uh, to to have Jerry on the show a couple times and Gary and and uh, you know we've gotten to develop a, a relationship so. That that's cool stuff, you know. It's it's just a lot of fun to. Uh, I to... love Jerry when he said, I, "I said, you know, yeah, I just I went over and uh, hung out with Larry Hall and and uh, you know talked to him about the early days and everything." And Jerry just goes, "Boy, that guy is such an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> you just, Larry Hall is about the nicest guy you will oh, ever yeah. meet in your entire life. He is such a great guy, and he's got such great stories about Indiana. And yeah. stuff when they were there, uh, you know, with Charlie Davis and mm-hmm. Larry and him and a few other people and stuff, and just the the hours that they put in practicing was yeah almost unfathomable. Yeah, it, 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 the the hours put in practicing and then that the being a part of history, basically, you know, right. so much that, that that went on and so many different artists that they've been able to work with over the years. It's just it, it's mind-blowing well if you look at jerry hay if you know there's a great site out there called all music Mm -hmm. and it's uh basically lists anybody uh who is on a recording it lists kind of like the the recordings that they've been on and stuff jerry's jerry's all music page is like 44 pages long yeah and i mean it's small print too yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) it's just it's absurd oh yeah well you know i I, um, for years, uh, my, my taste in music was driven by, um, who was on it in terms of session players, 
you know, I would look and, and obviously if it, I knew any time that it said Quincy Jones as a producer, uh, I was probably going to want to listen to it, you know, because I knew that Jerry and, and Gary and, and Chuck and those guys were going to exactly. be there. Um, and then, you know, I would just go through liner notes and you know, it's like, okay, if, if those guys are on a, on a track, I'm buying it and I'm listening to it, even if there's only and, one track, but you right. Know, and that, and I'll tell you, that's that's something that's missing nowadays. You know, you oh, don't yeah. get to look at a at a, at a, at a bunch of uh, CDs or records and everything and see the personnel on it because everything is streaming. Yeah, and they don't list that kind of thing if you're if you're just downloading tunes off of you know iTunes or Spotify or something like that. The personnel is almost you know it's like there's no inside baseball left. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I really thrive on that. I, I, I love those threads like you're talking about when you saw a certain producer, like if it was David Foster. Oh yeah, I'm gonna check that out because it's gonna be in that wheelhouse yeah. of sound that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. Same thing with Quincy. Eric Martin was another guy, mm -hmm. and stuff that was really great at all that stuff. So, so yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's that, and unfortunately that seems to be gone now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I look, so the, the, to bring it back around, I mean, I use all music a lot. So anytime I'm listening, if I hear something and like, if there's a, you know, really cool trumpet solo or something on it, I mean, unless it's somebody whose sound I immediately recognize, you know, if, right. it's, if it's somebody like Arturo, I was like, ah, eh, it's Arturo. You know, you just, you just know it. There, there's no getting around it. But if something else, I'm like, I wonder who that is. And, and I'll, you know, I'll search for the song and, you know, right. look through the credits and sometimes they have the, the horn section credited. Sometimes they don't. So, exactly. uh, but you know, it, it helps you to, to develop that concept of sound because, you know, if you never can identify who those players are, then you can't search for their, their work and their other work. Yeah. And I, like for me, I like going back. So, you know, uh, like with Jerry, um, you know, like when I first got turned on to Jerry's stuff, then it's like, okay, well, I want to find other stuff. So I would find anything he's playing on going forward. But then I'd start to go back and listen to other things. And then that, like, Some okay, the well, stuff. yeah. And then, so then I go, well, then that, that turned me on the, obviously, Chuck, because Chuck was playing with him. And I'm listening to Chuck. I'm like, oh, well, huh. Well, I didn't realize he played with Buddy's band. So I'll go back and listen to some of that stuff. And it's like, oh, well, who's this other guy playing with him? And, the, and so it starts to open up these little wormholes. And you go yeah. in and you find this richness. And it may not be a trumpet player. It could be, you know, like, oh, this sax player or this, you know, yeah, I really like this rhythm section. So it, it helps you to become educated about music as opposed to just listening to a tune. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's the one thing about doing this book with Jerry is I've gotten to hear all the stories about these different sessions that they were on. As a matter of fact, the last... Uh, interviewing that I did with him, we went through about, I think it was like 20 different records that were like the iconic records that he played on. Mm. And we went down almost track by track. Oh, man. On each of those. And he told me about how he got certain ideas mm -hmm. for different horn lines and things like that, what the situation in the studio was and everything. And just hearing, especially, I, I, I'm one of those guys that loves to hear about the the evolution of things, yeah. the beginnings of things, that small little germ from which the big tree grows and everything. And hearing some of those early stories 
when they first moved to LA and when like he got his first call yeah. from Quincy and stuff and and that relationship and how it's blossomed. I mean, they are they are still so close and everything, uh, even to this day. And they're really a part of each other's life in such a huge way. Yeah. Because what Jerry did with the horns on a lot of that stuff really did change the shape of pop music. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. That's cool. Well, I tell you what, when you guys get done with that book and uh, you're ready to uh, to do your press junket, make sure you guys save some time for me. Because, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe that, that hopefully by that time we'll be done with all of this uh, COVID craziness and we can just do that as a live session. Count on that. This is going to take a while. I mean, I've work, been working on it for about two years now. But the thing is, it's been very sporadic because I've had things come up in my life that have caused me to take a break from it and things like that. But it's I'm, I'm starting to roll ahead with it, which is good. Good so, deal. Good yeah. deal. Jerry is as humble as he is talented. Now, while most of us are quick to acknowledge his impact on the music we listen to and the instrument that we play, Jerry has been a little late to the party, but he is catching on. You've done so much. Um, and I, I'm, first of all, I ask you, I, uh, do you ever sit back and, and think, you know, wow, I've made, you know, this huge contribution or this, this amount of impact to, uh, the world of music. I mean, does that ever cross your mind? You know, what you've been able to do? Uh, you know, recently with all of social media and stuff, and I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people and, you know, I've been doing a couple interviews in South America recently and, you know, I'm sort of getting that, you know, I've had some impact in the music business. Um, but, you know, I don't really sit back and think about other than, you know, so every once in a while, somebody will post a tune or something. And go, oh, man, that, it's too hard, first of all. You know, who wrote that? You know, <laughs> all of that. Who are those guys? But, no, it's it's been great, you know, how mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have wanted any other way, you know, meet Quincy and David Foster and Earth, Wind and Fire and Maurice White and, you know, all those people. It's just, it's been great. The, the, I mean, Jerry and I did some ferocious stuff together. We did. And, yeah. uh, and we, we took no prisoners and, and, and I remember that a lot of times, you know, we go in and, and Jerry write this arrangement and we usually play it down the first time without uh, stopping just mm -hmm. so the artist would get the gist of the thing you right. know and we get into the vamp and it was holy moly vamp and and uh, uh and about you know some of the vamps were longer than the tunes yeah and and we would be going at it and <clears throat> And I would be red-faced, perspiration, man, just pouring off of me, just on the rundown. And it's not going for recording or nothing. This is the rundown. And we get done, and I'd look at Jerry, and I says, are you kidding me? And he would, he would be laughing. He would laugh so hard, man. He just, he loved it, man. He, he did, man, because he could do it. He, he was the door, yeah. you know? He, it, it was, I guarantee you, at the end, Jerry Hay was going to be standing. Chuck Finley was going to be standing. 
and I was going to be standing somewhere or another, you know. I remember we were at, um, at the Astrodome in Houston doing the Stevie Wonder concert with Quincy, and uh, we, Patty Austin had this tune, and I was playing lead on it, and on the, on the back end, on the very end of it, it had this high G, and I really got a hold of it. I got a hold of that sucker, and I'm holding it. And right when I'm starting to say, well, you know what? I got this, baby. I'm just going to add a little more to it. And right when I did that, Quincy's, he's got his hands up, and he's, ladies and gentlemen, give Patty Austin a big hand. He started introducing Patty. We're holding the cord. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you're holding that G. <clears throat> I'm holding that G and I'm starting to hear guys stop playing, you know, under me. They're running out of air. Of course, you know, he, he is, is, the guy's paying a G down the lower, he's going to run out of air faster. But still, I hung in there to the bitter end and I made it. However, it was one of the few times that my lights went out. Mm. And when it did, I leaned down and I saw Jerry's belt loop and I hooked my finger into it to hold on. And I'm holding on and I'm shaking like this and everything. But Jerry just took my hand and he went, bam. Man, don't be grabbing me like that up here in front of him. It <laughs> <laughs> was the funniest reaction, you know. And man, I straightened right up. I says, okay. <laughs> One of my favorite arrangements that you ever did, some of the best playing and arranging, um, is from the tubes outside inside. There's that three song run with uh, Monkey Time, uh, Wild Women of Wongo, and then uh, Tip of My Tongue. Wild Women of Wongo, the first time I heard that, I just about fell over. The, the horn solely part in there was just so amazing. Where in the world did that come from? Uh... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, well, it's, you know, it's Wild Women of Wongo, so kind of anything goes. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. So we got the eloquent sound on the Wild Women of Wongo. Yeah. So that's yeah. Charles Finley's playing trombone on that. Uh, and, and that was just a ferocious sound. And that particular sound in the studio, it was so loud. It was ridiculous. But the, the solely part, so that the band, except the drums, so it's the groove of the tune is that's the groove of the tune. Okay, so the drums in that section, the rhythm sections of the guitar bass still play drums are playing 
like that. So it's uh-huh. playing across the 16th notes as triplets. Right. So I went with that. You got to go with the drums. So you got to go with the drums. So we had this tune in Sea Wind that was had this crazy, um, n- not melody, the cr- horn solo part that was sort of why I went there. And it's sort of a Frank Zappa moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I just did it. And Foster, <laughs> they, all, they all loved it. So yeah. that's kind of crazy. You know, we did some, there's some half, like a, a half speed thing in there and some back and forth. Right. So, yeah. But, you know, it took us, yeah, it took 10 minutes kind of just to move all the ball. Oh, man. That, yeah, it, it just, it stands out. Whenever I talk to someone that's not a horn player and uh, they want some examples of what you do, that's usually one of them I pull out. Either that, either, either something off of that or obviously some of the stuff from uh, uh, Giroux, which are, man, this is absolutely some of my favorite stuff. Actually, when uh, Wayne and I first met, uh, we were having a conversation over a beer about our mutual love for the, the work that, that you and, and Chuck and, and, uh, Gary did on the Jero albums. And, you know, it's like, oh my God, you have that lick off of imagination. Ah, oh, high crime. So, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely some, some funky, funky, funky stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, uh, we bled on that one. <laughs> I'm sure you did. You know, actually, I was going to ask you about this uh, anyway, but you already brought it up about, uh, you know, the picture of you and Jerry and, and Gary, uh, because I remember one of our one of our early hangs, we, we spent a, a great deal of time talking about our mutual admiration of uh, Jerry's work, particularly the stuff that he did with Jero, you know, oh on the, God, on the Jero album and the High Crime album. And, and if you're listening to this or watching the video of this, and you're a trumpet player, you have not listened to either of those releases. <laughs> Stop this right now and listen to them because that is some of the best horn arranging and some of the best playing you are ever going to hear. I mean, commercial section. And those are the things, you know, that, that Jerry wrote that, you know, ended up getting a lot of fame and there were on, you know, there were hit songs. There's many other things. You know that that people oh, yeah. aren't aware of. You know stuff with the brothers Johnson. Oh yeah, and from way back when, and a lot of the things that he did for Earth, Wind, and Fire, of course. Yeah. You know, and Maurice yeah. White loved Jerry Hay. When he yeah. heard Jerry Hay, he was all of a sudden like, oh my God, you know. This is, this so is between between uh, Tom Tom '84 and yeah. Jerry, I mean, two of the greatest horn arrangers of all time for pop horns, in my opinion. You know. Yeah. Great. You know, obviously James Pankow in Chicago and then yeah. Greg Adams, they wrote great stuff. But yeah. Jerry Hay redefined pop horn writing from this time with sea wind yeah you listen to that stuff and hear how that well that works that's never in the way of the vocal yeah he has a way of being able to put something complicated in without it being in the way and that's a art there's just definitely an art to that but there's a polino cost polino da costa record uh yeah. it's a great question it's in town here man and 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 uh i'm trying to think of the name of the tune that's uh maybe it's called i love rio i'm spacing on the, the tune and uh and man, and the horns on that, it's, you know, it's the same, like, Jero, it's equally as badass. Yeah. But I, I bought that, and I used to buy anything that I saw their names on. Exactly. I <laughs> bought, because their names are on. So they helped sell records for the artist. 
I mean, you know, Jerry is a big part of that because he influenced so many trumpet players and that's horn section, even though it changed its formation a little bit. <clears throat> the main nucleus originally was, you know, Jerry, Jerry Hay and Gary Grant mm -hmm. and, uh, and Larry or Kim Hutchcroft. Right. Was in yep, there because, you know, and then Larry Williams, Larry Williams and Bill, yeah. Bill Rockenbach. So you see those names. And then Chuck Finley's name mm -hmm. started coming into play. And Steve Medeo, mm -hmm. who was another player I didn't know really well, but I did get to play with him once. I met him a couple of times. And he was a really <clears throat> kind of an interesting studio player because he did weird inflections. And he had some tricks with the microphone. He'd go, yap, and he'd go across the microphone with his bell and, and these kind of weird releases. And, uh. and Jerry used to say that he added this other element another color to the palette mm -hmm. <clears throat> that he would fit into the thing, even though it was odd, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so he was, you know, I, I wish I got to play with him more. The one session I did with him, when I, and he didn't have the chops he used to have when I played with him. You know, he had some, he passed away now. He'd had some health issues. But the one thing I remember sitting next to him was <clears throat> his time, like where he placed the notes. And that's where would, when I sit with Jerry and Gary Grant, they know where the beat is. Yeah, these, these cats have really great internal clocks, and not every trumpet player or every musician has that. At that point in my life, I had kind of transitioned from wanting to be Conrad Gazzo to wanting to be Jerry Hay, you know, and Chuck Finley, you know, those guys. I, so I, I went to LA. I had I'd had the great pleasure and fortune to um, do a couple of recording sessions uh, with my father in LA, and and he introduced me to those guys early on, and. Um, and I wanted it so badly that I just bugged the hell out of them until they agreed to teach me, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and so I was able to, you know, be around those guys. And it was, that was most important was just hanging out and watching what they did, seeing how, you know, it was, it was mind blowing. I mean, absolutely incredible. Those guys are the greatest of all time, you know, at what they do. There's nobody oh, better. Man. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I, I heard like really, knew what who what I was listening to and I was listening to the uh, the Jerry A horns uh, it was off the wall uh, and I I just heard and it's like this is like nothing I've ever heard before in my life and and just I was hooked from that point on me too man yeah groundbreaking you know what he did and he's still doing you know changed the course of music I mean it it was that important especially for me for guys like me and guys that like bands like Tower Power and, and Santa Fe and you know horn stuff there was there was nothing like it, and certainly he just kept upping the game every single time I heard him do something. It just, you know, it was crazy. I'm still yeah. that, I still listen to that stuff all the time. All yeah. the time. When I drive, I put on you know I'll say, you know, play uh, Al Jarreau or play you know because that stuff is just so unbelievable. It's so yeah. great, and classic. It never sounds old. Never sounds tired. You know. We've all experienced the impact that Jerry's had on music in our lives, but. Who are the people that have had the greatest impact on him as a player and as a person? Let's hear it from him. Yeah, he, he was, you know, the, the mythical statue that you say was, he deserved every bit of that and more. Um, greatest person I've met in life. Uh, nothing to do with a trumpet. He just, he was just such an amazing person, you know, tr Again, uh, along with Quincy, treats everybody with respect, uh, just great attitude. Uh, and, and then on top of that, I love a trumpet teacher. Uh, he, he, uh, I just can't, I, I can never say too much about him. And 
you know, probably the biggest influence in my life. Well, as with Mr. Adam, he treats everybody like you want to be treated. Uh, you walk in the door and, you know, he greets you like your you know, long lost brother. Um, treats everybody like that. Janitor, people getting the coffee, the second engineers, you name it. So that's a big part of why Quincy's music has got that kind of vibe to it. You go into the studio, you have a great time. It, you know, there's a lot of laughs. It's always great music. And he somehow gets the best out of you, out of all the best people that he hires. You feel like you have to, you know, live up to Quincy and it, it, it's just it kind of snowballs into this amazing piece of music. And, yeah. and he doesn't necessarily really say a lot musically wise. Uh, but, you know, a little word here or there, or, you know, a suggestion of something, all of a sudden, you know, it goes from just sounding kind of like a regular record to oh, now it sounds like a Quincy Jones record. What? Yeah, I, it's, I mean, a lot of people, everybody says it. How does it, what happens that when Quincy comes in and walks out the door, the whole process has changed and he made everything so much better. It's crazy. Players and arrangers have been trying to copy the Jerry Hayes sound for decades. I, I know that I have. But who's actually been able to catch the attention of the man himself? Let's find out. There's a, a guy in England that, that the trumpet players in England seem to be, it seems to be that this gen, younger generation of trumpet players in England that they have over there is really great. A whole bunch of really great guys over there now. Yeah. Um, and one of them, Tom Walsh, mm -hmm. is also doing some arranging and some killing arranging. Uh, really good. I mean, it is in, he's a fan of mine. It's in my style, but it, it's really uh, good stuff. Uh, so, you know, I always, I mean, I kind of shoot to that. He's a great trumpet player. Uh, he has, I gave him, I lend him uh, my trumpet that I played in Sea Wind and on Off the Wall. He has that trumpet now. Uh. Um and he's been over to our, my house a few times. He played on a, the Giroux tribute album. You know, he flew over here and uh, played with Chuck and Gary on that. Mm. And uh, I mean, just sounds the living end. And I told him, I, I said, I'm sorry that I didn't, that Mr. Adam did, couldn't hear you play. He's that good. Uh, it's just, yeah. So he's a really great player and he's got the arranging thing down. So, you know, there's a po possibility for him there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not up on a lot of the younger guys arranging kind of guys. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really know. Yeah. Anybody other than him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got turned on to him thanks to your, uh, your Facebook page and uh, I immediately reached out to him. So uh, he'll be showing up on one of these episodes in the near future. So uh, did you hear that recent Nate Williams? Track? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That was nuts. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah.
It's yeah. some great arranging, great track by Nate, uh, really good stuff. So yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, it's in the style of me, but he's got his own little twist on it and he can play the hell out of the trumpet. You uh, have worked with Jerry both professionally and also, you know, your friendship and uh, you've done some studying with him as well. Um, and yeah, Jerry's a, a big proponent of the, uh, you know, of uh, Bill Adam and, and, and his, his concepts. And, you know, did you find that to be kind of uh, something that they help you to to clarify your your approach to playing uh yeah like the the mental side of 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 trumpet playing because that's a huge part of of what jerry does i think i've got to say going to study with jerry and, and gary grant um super i i can't really believe that the stars aligned and i was lucky enough to do it and to know them at the time but it was they were so generous with their time but like you said it was talking to these zen masters of the instrument and i've got to say that they're probably you know the lessons with jerry and gary is completely revolutionized the way that i play the trumpet and some of the things that that jerry diagnosed and it's kind of i was very lucky that he was in a position to kind of to want to even essentially give me the keys to the kingdom or give he's so he's always been so generous with his time and his advice to to everyone i think we probably originally started messaging way back when probably nearly 10 years ago, probably on Facebook when he joined. And it's, it's kind of, it's surreal to think how it's come, but yeah, those guys really have, like I said, that kind of, that, that just the concentration uh, that they kind of, you can just see it like they, they kind of whole, the whole face changes and their whole mindset just like engages when they, when they've got a trumpet in front of them. And it's kind of, it must be, I think probably I did it at the right time as well. I think if someone had tried to kind of show me these kind of more refined kind of more, yeah, mental concepts more than physical things, I probably wouldn't have had the patience maybe as a youngster to kind of understand it. But yeah, the Bill Adam routine, whilst I'm sure what I end up doing is more of an amalgam of what Jerry and some of what Gary showed me, it's what a pedagogue he he was he, and what a great man from all the stories i've heard so it's uh certainly that mantra and again going to jazz college felt like it was it was telling me all the all the opposite things to what jerry and gary finally did which was i think the mantra in jazz college is not not where i went but people said you know like if you're going to practice jazz language in a room it doesn't need to sound good or you know if you're working out ideas or harmonic ideas and it doesn't have to doesn't matter if you split it whereas the trumpet side of things the calisthenics and the kind of rudiments if you will i think it's a great idea to always be making the best sound that you can at all times on the trumpet and that just reinforces the muscle memory and the idea of your and your concepts like you were saying those yeah. two are absolute jedi they're yeah they're the best yeah 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 they're yeah they're, we've got some really great uh guys out there and that's that's also where i kind of stuck this uh, stole this title of the trumpet gurus because there's so many there's so many guys that are just like on another level in terms of their diagnostic abilities and and the concepts like you, know, you mentioned one of my favorites uh, earlier bobby shoe bobby is just yeah he just blows your mind uh you know the, the, he's like the trumpet yoda so 
uh, you know, but but you know, guys like Jerry and Gary and and Bobby and and some Wayne hero, absolute hero. Yeah, he is. He's he's one of those dudes. But uh, so you you actually got a chance to uh, to do some recording with Jerry and and the boys and uh... surreal. It was uh, so in back in two thousand and fourteen. I think it was probably yeah from the home studio a strange connection but i end up recording on a big band record where larry williams uh the the saxophone mm -hmm. the seaward horns yeah um of course i was a huge fan of his but he was also featured on the same track so i just graduated and i think i probably had a bit more get up and go then in terms of trying to make and organize live events but we ended up getting a gig together at ronnie scott's jazz club in london we did it was going to, it was always originally penned to be a tribute to Al Jarreau. And we were going to try and stupidly maybe try and do the Jarreau album live in concert. Mm. And, uh, and so I contacted Larry to see if he wanted to be a part of it. And I had that introduction to him through this remote session. And uh, I think I'd probably just been in touch with Jerry or maybe just met him for the first time. And Larry was, was Al's MD. And so he said, well, why don't I see if he, if Al fancies doing it. And so I was just like, uh, yeah, okay. That sounds yeah. good. That sounds fun. And, and for, you know, again, just couldn't believe my luck. Uh, Al was, Al came over and had an amazing time with us recreating that album. I think he hadn't sung some of the songs to that record for about 30 years. Or oh, so my. it was, it was surreal. And, uh, he, he sung incredibly. And then we did like, yeah, six shows back to back. And again, had a ridiculous, trumpet team that we shared that we shared the heavy lifting uh on so we had to my good friends andy greenwood and louis dowdswell either side of me so it was kind of a case of yeah it was fine we swapped it around and just about got through it unscathed i think but after that and of course al passed away a few years ago now mm -hmm. um larry said uh well look we're going to do a tribute record for al um and since he had fond memories of that london concert uh he said well do you want to come over and kind of be a part of the horn section? And then I, I, then I realized, hold on, that means that I'm filling Jerry's shoes in between Chuck and Gary. So, yeah, it's kind of, it was surreal. <laughs> Sur yeah. Really surreal. Yeah, man. That, I would have had to change my pants about four or five times during that session. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't want Jerry to know this necessarily, although he, he did, uh, he let me very kindly, let me stay with him for a couple of nights. So he got to hear me try and fire my chops back into working but it, it was just after the new year and i'd just been on holiday and probably hadn't touched the trumpet for two weeks maybe for christmas as well just decided it was time for a bit of a break and so suddenly after three weeks off trying to get yourself back to match fitness that was probably a lesson i know that jerry's always said he never had a day off and now i kind of see why <laughs> yeah well the, the big question is if you stayed at jerry's place uh besides giving you the the tips on the horn did he uh, give you any tips on the wine oh wow yeah i i do you know what it's one of those things that i've asked him since lockdown if he's been getting the good stuff out and it's if there's anyone that uses the vivino app it's quite funny to kind of check out how much some of jerry's bottles are worth but of course you know like he says he, he kind of got them all back at a time when it was all crazy but yeah i'm in my own very modest and inferior way i i, I am a big wine fan definitely yeah. but just uh i know what i like but of course like a lot of us what i like i can't afford <laughs> uh, very very true 
Like me, Jerry is a member of the F Cancer Society. While Jerry has survived his bouts, it's come at a price. Jerry is no longer able to play the trumpet as he once did. So how does someone whose life has been built on an ability to do something that is suddenly taken away from them cope with that change? How did Jerry adjust to life off the horn? What lessons did he learn? And what advice does he want to share? What kind of advice would you be able to give just anyone and specifically trumpet players, uh, you know, in, in how to deal with these kind of inevitable setbacks that, that, that we're going to face at some point along our career? Yeah, well, you know, sooner or later, everybody's um, not going to be first trumpet, you know, that, you know, it's where it kind of starts. And then you run into a brick wall with an injury and who knows where that's going to end up, you know, so some, some, you just have to get in there and fight it out as best you can. Hopefully you come out the other end, like I think Wayne is going to, and sometimes you don't, like I didn't, you know, I didn't make it out the other end quite as well as I was hoping to, but, you know, I'm alive. I feel great. My, all my test numbers and everything are great. So, you know, you can only do what you can do um, and, you know, live each day as best you can. I had uh, lymphoma in 2009, had five chemo treatments, and which, which weren't terrible, I will have to say. Uh, they were, I could deal with them uh, and kept on going and we, you know, and I was still working and stuff. And then after that, they thought they got it. And uh, in 2014, I got another lump and it was an aggressive form of lymphoma. And I had to go down to San Diego. To, there were only three doctors in the country that deal with what I had. And I had to go down to San Diego and I had a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2015. And it took we lived in San Diego then because, you know, you're going back and forth to the hospital right. daily, basically. Right. Uh, we lived in San Diego for six months and uh, we came home. And when we got back home, I got kind of back on a little bit of a routine. And I've always been kind of into exercising and, you know, I was really into running. Uh, but, you know, I, that the bone marrow transplant, the steroids that I had to take kind of messed with my hip so that I can't have impact on my hip because mm -hmm. it ruined the cartilage. So I can't run anymore, but I go to the gym a lot every day when the gym is open. No, not, unfortunately not now, but, right. uh, but you know, work-wise, you know, I, I, I did, um, a Dave Matthews, band record Rashawn Ross uh who is a good friend and a hell of a player and yeah. great guy he talked me into doing some arranging and he actually came down to San Diego to the apartment we were staying in and uh we worked on some arrangements together and I did that was the first thing that I did when we came back here after six months uh down in San Diego was Dave Matthews and then from that point on I just kind of went back into regular routine. Anybody wants me to do any arranging, you know, no problem. I haven't been playing for, I don't know, 
10 years now at least. And, you know, that's, I miss that, but, you know, time marches on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, today things are great. I'm, I had a checkup last Friday. Everything is 100%. So that's, that's, I can't ask for anything more. Yeah. But it does make you take a look at, you know, where you are and how much longer you have around and, you know, family and all that. Well, for me, it was, I mean, this, it, my, my uh, issues started in the mid eighties, really. I had a tumor on my throat. And uh, so that was kind of the the beginning of a, you know, of, of a time that I had to do a really deep search, you know, into you know, what, what's going to happen next. Um, so, you know, I decided to buckle down and say, okay, I'm going to play trumpet. I'm going to practice 10 hours a day and I'm going to be so physically good that I can get over any of the other circumstances that I did. So, you know, I did that for a while. I did that for three or four years, serious practicing and serious, uh, physical exercise and eating, really well I was in seriously great shape in mid to late 80s and that was I was able to overcome any physical problems that the tumor was causing Um, but then it got to the point that you you can only do that so long without really killing yourself Um, and you know I I took a look at it, it basically came down to Quincy for me again you know, as, as amazing as that is, you know, Quincy had a double aneurysm uh, when he was 41 or something like that. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, he played trumpet. And, you know, I said, you know, okay, Quincy doesn't play trumpet anymore. He's doing okay. I can do okay if I don't play trumpet like I used to play trumpet. You know, I can... And because of Quincy, you know, he got me on the arranging thing, you know, and look where that led. You know, I would have never done that. Would it not have been for, well, Seawind, Quincy. Right. Um, so, you know, you have to take, t- take what's given to you. You know, if a door opens and, you know, that w- one door kind of on its way closed and, you know, you got to walk through another door. Yeah. And, you know thank God for the pencil. Cause you know, that's, you know, that's made it for me really. Thanks for joining me for this special episode. I'll be doing more of these retrospectives in the future. And if you have an idea for a concept show, hit me up because as much as I wanted you to believe that this is all for me, yeah, it's not, it's for all of us. So as always, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. 
Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal, and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.